welcome to the Of The Earth Podcast. This is a place where we take time from our busy lives to remember the planet we're living on, the relations that support us, and our sense of belonging as children of this beautiful Earth. I'm your host, Mariana Rittenhouse. Simply put, I'm a woman who sees life where others don't and teach humans to do the same. I do this by leading tea ceremonies, teaching personal tea ritual, and mentoring women in their spiritual reawakening to the earth. I created the Of The Earth podcast to re-inspire your innate connection to Mother Nature, so you can find deeper meaning in life and truly remember why you're here. Because even if you don't believe it, you belong. You really do. Thank you so much for being, and thank you for being here. Let's dig into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Of the Earth. I'm Mariana, and I'm happy to be back here with you today. Before I jump into our interview... I want to share a reminder that there are still a few spots left for my Ceremony of Life retreat in Colombia this February. We're going to be there from February 17th to 23rd, and it's going to be an incredible week-long journey on the sacred coast of northern Colombia. We're going to be deep in ceremony, tea ceremonies, and indigenous ceremonies, as well as be led in an oracular spiritual painting journey with my friend and artist Allison Strickland. For more info, you can send me a message or check out my website. And if you want more inspiration, the last podcast episode was actually an interview with Allison, so it's a great place to see if you're inspired and feel called. It's intimate, it's nourishing, and it's going to be unforgettable. So I hope you'll join us. Okay, on to today's episode. It's a good one. Today, I have my good friend Kendra Kunov on the podcast, and I'm excited for you to hear the interview because, to be honest, I think it's a great one. I always love my conversations with Kendra as she's also a deep lover of the earth and we hold similar values. So it's fun to dig in and go a little deeper each time. Kendra is a coach and facilitator that has been doing amazing work in the fields of relationship and intimacy for a long time now. Seriously, everyone, she's a legend. Ask anyone who knows her. (laughs) I'm so grateful to be her friend and that I get to walk alongside her in life. In today's episode, we talk about our journeys to land stewardship, what it means to live in active relationship to the earth and life, and how limitations and containment can lead us to the abundance and security that we're looking for. I hope you enjoy it, and thank you for being here. Okay, let's dive in. Hello and welcome to Of the Earth. I am so excited for today's interview with my good friend Kendra Kunov. Welcome, Kendra. How's it going? Good. Thank you. So good to be here. Yeah, it's so great to be here. I am so curious where our conversation is going to go today, but I know that <laughs> this gives people an opportunity to be like a fly on the wall. And I think that that's always a good thing. Um, so 
I begin every episode with of the earth, just grounding in to the earth. Uh, So I would love to hear where you're located and what is happening on the earth and your ecosystem. I love that question so much. Um, I, I mean, really, really local on the actual land that I live on. One of the big things that we've been doing is like digging up all of the, the dahlia rhizomes and the gladiolas and, and of course all these things don't necessarily have to be (laughs) digging up, (laughs) dug up, (laughs) but it got cold enough that, you know, it was time to take like all the flowers Mm. where, so we got some hard freezes at night and so it's the other thing that happens is there's a certain time of year when we always see the crows go one direction in the morning and one direction in the evening. So in the morning, it seems like they're always heading east. And if I come out early enough, like I'll look up at the sky and there's sort of these flocks of crows heading east. And then sometime before sunset, like they'll head west and they go somewhere farther than us. I'm not quite sure where they go at nighttime. Mm. It's kind of wild. Beautiful. <laughs> We're supposed to get rain in the next few days, so I'm really looking forward to that. Because um, I don't think I said, so I'm in Northern California, like close mm-hmm. to the West Coast of Northern California. Cool. Northern California, it's like the seasons. I mean, it's probably the best place to ask that question around because the seasons make no sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. it, it almost feels like opposite of what I would think. I've gone to you know, Santa Cruz in the summer and been absolutely freezing. And then Mm -hmm. right now I'm also in Northern California, but not, not close to the coast. I'm kind of about 40 minutes South of Yosemite. And I mean, what it's like in November and Mm -hmm. I, I, it's hard. It feels hard to wear clothes here right now at all. So (laughs) it's um, especially it being, you know, California, culturally for me not having grown up in the U.S. California has a very specific like you know vibe to me Mm -hmm. and cold in the summer is not what I would think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah but if you're northern California like that's you're like Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah coastal fog (laughs) that's a thing. (laughs) But it's cool because it really it it brings in more intimacy I think with the natural processes that are happening in the ecosystem where, you know, it's not just like it's summer, it's hot, but you have to think about fogs and the tides and the currents and all of the different, like the things that, um, that are between weather as a concept or seasons, the concept and actually what's Mm -hmm. happening on the earth. So I feel like, I kind of feel like that in Colorado with altitude, like Mm -hmm. altitude is so present for me everywhere I go. And since moving there, no matter where I am in the world, I'm checking altitude so I can understand the earth. Mm. And I imagine that in Northern California, it's kind of like fog or rain or humidity or something that you're constantly in relationship to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's been super sweet for me the past few weeks I've been road tripping and I feel like I've gotten to experience fall in so many different places, which is super fun. Um, mm-hmm. the leaves had pretty much already turned 
and probably fallen when I left Colorado. We just had our first snowstorm. And mm. here, the leaves, there's a lot of oak trees here where I'm staying. I arrived last night and the leaves are so heavy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what it is. See, it feels like they're so heavy. When I was emptying my car last night, it was dark and it actually sounded more like animals moving, the leaves falling. The like, leaves falling, huh? Yeah. And I kept like looking, I'm like, who's there? You know, because I've heard my friend mm. lives in this town and I heard that there's a mountain lion that they've seen around this house. Mm-hmm. And so it just... And I kept looking and it was just the leaves falling. And then this morning I was having tea outside. And when a lot of the leaves would fall with the wind, it sounded like a rattle. Mm. Like that's how loud the the leaves are as they fall. And it's it's been really beautiful to, mm. to just yeah be in relationship to them. Because I don't really grow up with leaves falling. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the tropics. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting because then there's like the evergreens. But I think my, because I've lived my whole life in Northern California, basically mm-hmm. between like Big Sur, and I've always lived kind of close to the coast. So I lived sort of between Big Sur and now I'm Sonoma County. And I sort of consider part of my ecosystem like up to Mount Shasta now. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mount Shasta then is the place that has the least amount of oak trees. It has mm-hmm. some leaves that fall, but it has a lot more evergreens. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's like Colorado. It's like I was in the tropics and then in Colorado. So, you know, my land is full evergreen, just ponderosas mm-hmm. and some Douglas mm-hmm. firs. And yes, Colorado does have the aspens, which are so beautiful that shift colors. But they're a little bit higher altitude than, mm-hmm. there we go, altitude again. <laughs> they're higher altitude than than where I'm at. So. <laughs> and it kind of just shifts and then it, sh- it shifts and then the leaves fall. But what I'm really appreciating on the West Coast is just a, how many different types of trees there are, that there's mm-hmm. so many different colors happening and mm-hmm. that they are dropping their leaves at different times. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I've never lived on the East Coast. So mm-hmm. I believe people that like East Coast fall is really a thing, right? And it has this wild color that, you know, like I really believe it. But one of the things that I'm really aware of in California is what you're talking about. Like I go out and I'm like, there's so much color and there's like these enormous maples that do kind of one thing. And then there's the sycamore that do another thing. And then there's these trees. I know them as pepper trees, but I don't actually know if this is their formal name or not, but they're Mm -hmm. pepper trees. And they actually do this like amazing color thing. And we have them all around town. You know, so Mm. I just think it's like wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure they're both beautiful in their own way. I will say like one thing, but it's funny, this also, I experienced it also in the West Coast up in the Pacific Northwest, but I was just in Asheville last month and the leaves were starting to change. Very beautiful. But when you go hiking, it's just like, man, it feels like it's both like it, it, there's still so much green which is true in the Pacific Northwest too. Like it, it is so vibrantly green, so many mosses, so many lichens, so many trees, you know, and then there's the ones that are changing colors. Mm. And so it's really cool to get both of them at the same time. Mm. Um, I mean, here in California is obviously dry along mm-hmm. with the change, but man, when you have that green backdrop, it's really quite special. 
Mm-hmm. So anyways, I guess wherever anyone is who's listening, I hope you're appreciating the fall colors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and if there aren't any nearby that you go drive to some, because they're really gorgeous this year. Uh, speaking of land, mm-hmm. I was just in your land in Shasta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was so fun. And I mean, I'd never been to Mount Shasta before. It's very present. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess I would say mountains, very present. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have seen something like that before, especially without as much city. You know, I think about like Guatemala that has, you know, volcanoes very obviously in cities and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it really felt like there's just no competition there. It's... I mean, really, you can't, you just anywhere you are, you, you yeah. can see the mountain, you know, you really orient. And there are some other kind of extraordinary mountain ranges there as well, right? There's the, yeah. like Black Butte and there, you know, anyway, there's these different or Mount Eddy and none of them really compete, but it it's a very mountainous and that is very present pretty much no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Really beautiful. And I'm, I'm grateful that I got to pass through there and, and be on the land, make a little offering. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious if you would, if you're open to sharing a little bit about your journey to land stewardship. Yes. And I would absolutely say like, I feel like I'm still so much in the journey and the learning. Totally. Um, and that's probably, I guess in one way, I would just say, like, I hope that's forever, right? I hope, may I, like, always continue to feel like I'm listening and learning and don't have some right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely times where I, like, I want to just know what I'm supposed to do with the land or, you know, I want, like, some answer. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just, it's within a day or two. I haven't looked at the actual date, but I'm, like, literally within the week of one year since I closed on that particular piece of land and even the process of it coming, right. I think I may have shared this with you in a different context, but I remember when I was in the process and it was, it was pretty clear it was going to happen. And somebody asked me, they were like, Oh, how long have you been looking? And Mm -hmm. the question like caught me off guard. And then I realized I was like, Oh, I wasn't, this Mm -hmm. was not, I wasn't, I was not looking. I hadn't looked at other places I didn't have anyone, you know, trying to find land available in any particular area or anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even just when you talk about land stewardship in that way, I think so much of it was that there was kind of a call and it came, I mean, in some ways I think it came so clearly through the land, but it also came through human voices that said, oh, this piece of land and, you know, what might be possible And Mm -hmm. my own thoughts that were like, well, I can't do that. And then like, well, what if I could, you know, or what would make it possible? Mm -hmm. Um, And you were such a powerful voice for me, actually, during that time. And you probably remember this, but in case you don't, I mean, really what you were like, the land can't by itself. Like the Mm -hmm. land is asking you to be the human collaborator. Yeah. And it just gave words to something that was so important for me. I was like, oh, right. Okay. That's my role here. Yeah, I'm not the like owner, you know, or the, the all the things that that I could doubt about or grapple with. I was like, oh, I don't even have to pick that up and try to grapple with it, right? Like, I'm in collaboration here, 
And the system we have in place right now does not allow the land to buy itself. So I will do that for it. (laughs) Yeah, I do remember sharing that. And it felt very similar to my own journey to land stewardship, which it was similar. It was very similar. It was, you know, pretty much um, people ask me all the time, how'd you move to Boulder? I'm like, I went for an event. I saw a house, fell in love with the land and. The next time I went there, I was moving in. I had my two cats, one in each hand. Right? Like, oh, wow. <laughs> and, and it's so crazy to me because the um, my home in Boulder was, it was pretty much exactly what I could have spent on a house, like in mm. my maximum amount. Mm. And it's very rare um, mm. to have a home there with, with 10 acres you know, 15 minutes to downtown. And a lot of people, when they've found out afterwards about my home and how much I paid for it and all these things, they'll, they're shocked. And they're Mm -hmm. like, how did I not, how did I not know about that? I would have bought four of them. How is this possible? (laughs) You know? And, and my house sat on the market for six months with no buyers. And it's, it's like it had this invisibility cloak and it's really interesting because it went on the market, by the way, everyone, it's the new moon right now. So yeah, it's interesting. It went on the market when I was on a retreat and I made a new moon intention Mm -hmm. to find land to live on. At the Mm -hmm. time I was going to Nevada city to look at land there, which is why it was present. Mm -hmm. And in this, in this circle we did, I remember so clearly that everyone was like yelling. We're like dancing and everyone's like yelling their intention. And then I went and I yelled mine and everyone's like, we didn't hear you. What'd you say? And so I really had to like scream it. Like I had to say it twice. And I was like, say it louder. And, um, and so even it, even though it took me kind of like six months to actually get there, it was cool when I made the day I made the offer was on the full moon, I guess five months later. Oh, wow. Uh Yeah. And I just, it's like the land, like I just always think of the land, like putting on its little invisibility cloak Mm -hmm. and so that no one else would buy it (laughs) and just Mm -hmm. being like, we have a plan, the person's coming. And, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, but it's like, things just take time. Yeah. Um, Processes, they just take time. And so I think it's really easy for humans to, to think that we're the ones making the decisions. Yes. Yeah. When really there's so much life conspiring to give us the opportunity. I mean, and the amazing thing is again, like sometimes I tell pieces of the story about, well, the sellers of this land actually accepted my offer, which was a low, like someone else had made a full price offer because mm-hmm. of the, what I, the letter I wrote them about my intention. And it's almost like I can see, and, and again, I, it's not that these are bad things, but I can see people almost filing it away as like, oh, so that like, that's the way to do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, part of the reason that I've had trouble talking about this, and I feel like it's going to really take time is that there's ways that I could tell this story. Like the first time I ever went to what I would call, you know, capital T, capital L, this land, which is not Mm -hmm. this actual piece of property, but that land was 17 years ago. And I'm like, did it start then? 
when I sat in right. Sweat Lodge and literally heard a voice that said, you're meant to bring people to this land. And so I did. Mm-hmm. And I just kept going. And then, you know, what it's been to be in relationship with my teacher there and to go every year and to mm-hmm. share that experience with, you know, as I went through like separation and divorce and pregnancy and having, you know, like um, what was required, like the time you talk about and what's actually required in that time and what I gained from it. Mm-hmm. And then, or did it when I found out later that the previous owners of this piece of land actually knew my parents, like my dad <laughs> and my stepmom, maybe before I met my dad, cause I didn't meet him till I was four. Wow. I'm like, Oh, did it start then? Like right. who called me to this land? I don't know. You right. know? Yeah. It makes me think of that saying, you can't miss what's meant for you. And yeah. I think of it like it was, it's coming somehow we're in the center of the web or like whatever the outcome is, is in the center of the web, but we're actually weaving it the other way. We're weaving Mm -hmm. from the outside in and there's all these entry points. And so when I hear that, I'm like, Mm. yeah, it was going to happen and it could have happened in many ways. And what I I love about your analogy of the web too, is like, it's really, I mean, I've watched a lot of webs, but we had one spider right out front whose mm-hmm. web stayed in place for a really long time, which is mm-hmm. kind of rare because they get knocked down a lot. Yeah. But it like really picked a good spot and it stayed there. But I would watch like the spider would be over in the corner sometimes, or like there were parts that needed repair on edges. And I think again, as humans, like we think all these little things are distractions. Like, oh, why do I have to go repair this part of the web again? Totally. Why do I keep getting called to that part of the web? Like what's wrong with me? Or like, what you know, that this part of the web needs repair again, rather than like, oh, that's just part of the process. That's part of the process right. of weaving the web all the way to the center. Totally. And that's that it's those little things that really give life meaning in the sense yeah. of like, what else would we do with our time? Now we have a yeah. ton of things to like do with our time, right? That are supposedly but, more important than mending this part totally. of the web. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, I, I, people will ask me questions like that. How did you find your house? How did you meet your teacher? How did you this? Like, that's all I want. And I don't even know how to answer them. I feel like a lot of times people want a very specific answer because they feel like, oh, I'm just not doing it right. And that's why Mm -hmm. this isn't happening for me. But I find that like every step, like there there isn't anything in my life that I would say I wouldn't have done Mm -hmm. because everything led to exactly where I'm at now and will continue to lead. It's, It's like the difference between trying to plan your life and actually being in relationship with your life, knowing Mm -hmm. that things will come, things will go. But again, if we can be present, if we can listen, even without understanding the outcome, which is something so beautiful about you and your land is like, okay, here was the first step, but who knows? Mm -hmm. So many people look for land with a, like a game plan. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we're not listening. We're telling, Mm -hmm. um, and they might not find what they're looking for in that, or even just as like a good investment. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing is we get to see what happens. We get to take one step and then watch life take a step back, you know, take mm-hmm. a step closer to us mm-hmm. and just continue in this dance. And it's really powerful if we can, if we can really just let go of our um, kind of egoic desires or what we've been told it should look like, or it should be, 
Because then when that moment happens, when it all kind of comes into place, it's so much more special because you know, it couldn't have happened any other way. You know, like for me, I'd looked to move to Boulder many times before and I'd like gone out there and was on the verge of potentially moving out there. And I'm like, wow, my life would have been like kind of shitty if I'd done that Mm -hmm. compared to how it ended up. And I'm like, ah, yes, there was a relationship with this, as you said, capital T, capital L land. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and how it ended up was so much better than I ever could have imagined. But Mm. I, you know, like, so yeah, I did have to, you could look at it from one side and be like, well, you stayed in New York and you worked in more startups and you just worked 80 hours a week and you did blah, 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 and all these things. And I could look at it and be like, oh, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) Why am I not? Why is my life like this? But the truth is I was actually in the process because I was making the money that I needed. Like my, Mm -hmm. I didn't shift. My desires didn't shift. My longing to live the way that I do now didn't shift. And all of my time was being spent in devotion to something that I actually didn't believe was going to be possible. Mm -hmm. But you know, the earth Mm -hmm. provides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 17 years going to that land. It's, yeah, it's like, (laughs) that's the type of devotion that, you know, um, that's the type of devotion that, that, that takes root, you Mm -hmm. know, that literally takes root. I'm excited to see what happens there. Yeah. And I'm like excited to see what happens there in a few years, but I'm really excited to see what happens there in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited. Like, <laughs> and and that, that excitement that comes really not from like, <laughs> oh, because I know what it's going to, it's it's more just like, whoa, it really feels like a mystery, but it's ex- it's an extraordinary mystery. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It feels like, yeah. it feels like the type of like quantum possibility that, would be like we found out that there are rainbow dinosaurs living on a planet next to ours that we never knew happened. Like it feels like that. I'm like, what's this thing that I can't even imagine could ever be true? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know it's gonna be so beautiful. Mm. Yeah. It was very special there. Gosh, that creek. Just mm. yeah, the creek, gorgeous. It's, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 I'm so, so glad that. You know, similarly, I left on this trip and I didn't think I was going to drive through Shasta. I remember and that. Yeah, you're like, no. <laughs> and then texted me. You're like, I'm going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, because, well, it's funny. And um, I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll go down to the bay and then I can go up to Shasta. And I was like, well, that doesn't even make sense because of the t- it's farther away. And And originally, you know, I'm kind of like following my boyfriend's band's tour right now and just like hanging out on the west coast and seeing my tea students and stuff like that which is great and I remember originally they didn't have a show in Ashland and so we would have just skipped it and I and I was I in our community we have a, a girlfriend now in Ashland and so I was bummed I'm like oh you know it sucks we won't get to see you and then and then they added in the show last minute and mm-hmm. so we went to Ashland and it's an hour and a half from Shasta. I had no idea until I Googled the day before. Mm-hmm. How far is it to Nevada City? 
And it's like, mm-hmm. woo, right through. So I definitely felt a prayer answered there. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit and there's something that's really, there's something that I find, even though our, our work is really different, there's this similar theme in our work and just for, or actually, do you want to share a little bit about your work first? Maybe how about you say the piece you're going to say, and I might see how, like how to say the way that it weaves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, cause I don't want to minimize your work. Um, mm-hmm. but I think we, we actually have something similar in the sense that we have these kind of, um, you know, signature programs that people know us through, but mm-hmm. then our work goes way deeper than that for people who want to go deeper. And so, um, yours being the no man diet. Mm-hmm. So working with women to create a container without the masculine in it, mm-hmm. or obviously not without the full masculine because we all have it, but without men around mm-hmm. to really learn how to orient towards and self-source um, sovereignty, truth, love, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. Um, and then mine with start your own tea practice, mm-hmm. creating a tea practice and, um, and then people, yeah, go much deeper after those programs. But what I find similar about them is this, um, this removal of the things that mm-hmm. society has told us are how we should understand ourselves in the world. So in the no man diet, it's removing men, which obviously for women is a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't think you can read a book or watch a movie without some nice conditioning coming through of how we relate to men in the masculine. Mm-hmm. And then in mine, it's shopping, it's consumerism. <laughs> so when people do mm-hmm. start your own tea practice, I ask them, do not read about tea, do not learn about tea, do not, like, I don't tell them what the tea is that they're drinking. Mm-hmm. Don't, um, don't shop. Don't Instagram about it. <laughs> like really mm-hmm. creating this container of limitation in order for the students to find depth and meaning. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I thought that that would be a nice thing for us to chat about today um, as leaders who find that to be integral parts of our work. Yeah, I think it is such an interesting and and it can be such a challenging thing even to talk about because it's see, it's like, I like to say seemingly opposing, like they're not mm-hmm. actually opposing, but they're seemingly opposing that you could get what you want by removing what you think you want, maybe <laughs> might be the way to, to talk about it. And, and I think similar, you know, that even this idea of something that seems sort of light and fun, Oh, start my own tea practice. And then you're just like, Ka-thunk, actually yeah. we're going to do this, you know? <laughs> and, and I, I think, you know, I mean, I would say the most common comment I get about the no man diet is like, Oh, this doesn't actually have anything to do with men. And I'm like, yes, I know. But if I told you that at the outset, you know, <laughs> like totally. it, and, um, and I've tried, I've sort of thought like, what is, it's like, I feel like my life has shown me somehow. And then in some way, yes, through that particular program, but just in general, like, 
Like it's like something in my life wants to help offer people the opportunity to really experience that chosen limitation on purpose, often for a period of time, which can shift over time, but, you know, like can often give us so much more than how do I get everything I want? Mm -hmm. And that we're kind of in the, I want to say this culture and by this culture, I mean, it's pretty global at this point, like the culture of consumption, the culture of more is better. You know, the culture, I think you said something so brilliant before we started that like abundance inherently equals limitlessness. Mm -hmm. It's like, gosh, even to tweak that is like, people are like, well, what do you mean? How could it mean anything other than that? Like to, to within a culture like that, to say, what if my true freedom doesn't come from getting everything I want just the way I want it in the time frame? I think it should happen in. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, yeah, abundance to me, abundance is security, not quantity. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I feel abundant, it's because I know I don't have to worry. Mm-hmm. I know that my needs are met. Mm-hmm. And I think in our culture, we've created abundance as just more, more, more. Um, and the, and yes, there's like a temporary, I don't need to worry in that, but it's like, mm-hmm. I don't need to worry until the stores and you know, the stores right. empty again. And when we're farther away from the source of our, um, I mean, if we're talking about like material wealth, when we're farther away from the source of our true needs, which Mm -hmm. no one's true need is money. No Mm -hmm. one's, no one's true need is money. That's money is when we're separated deeper from our true needs. Um, When we're actually closer to that true need, we can, we've, we find security Um, and we can trust life, right? Abundance to me is also trust. Because I think we find like when we're actually closer to that true need, the the more willing we are to get to that. um, And again, this is one of those like seemingly contradictory, but I don't think it is. Mm -hmm. It's not about like, well, I could make do with less. It's not really that. It's just that when I truly dive into the true need, I find that I have it all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I come from that place, and now again, I mean, we're talking at a certain level. Like again, there's these studies that show that like more money up to a certain point actually does make you feel more secure. Yeah, and then after absolutely. a certain point, so like we're not talking about people who don't have their basic needs, but but the majority okay. of people who are going to listen to this podcast are ever going to do a program with us. Like again, they live in a real like um, spectrum of financial mm-hmm. wealth, but. Basically, and even me, I mean, I was raised very poor. My mom was on mm-hmm. food stamps when I was a child. We lived in a trailer that had a wood-burning stove. We had no electricity. We had an outhouse. And maybe this is part of it. I'm just like, like I, but I, my needs were actually met. Right. And so when I come closer to what they are and the more that I can live in the place of like, it is met, now what? 
the less that I'm sort of grasping for like, oh my God, this will make me feel secure. This will make me, I'm just like, oh, I am secure. Exactly. And now what? Now it, there might be, and now is there something else that I desire? Or it's like, and now what do I want to create? Or now what's available to me in the world? But it's like sitting in the seat of security. And that is definitely not, like money does not do that. I've watched so many yeah. people with so much money live in more insecurity than I, you totally. know, like, so I'm, yeah. We actually talked about this at brunch the other day. It yeah. was, I know, you know, when I had my nervous breakdown and, and then lost my income, lost every, like lost my security right after having bought that house. <laughs> um, so I also had a mortgage at, you know, I couldn't, I'm like, oh my God. I, and it was a huge drop of security. I, I really thought that I was going to be paying off that house in a couple of years. I remember when I was signing the paperwork, they tell you how much you'll actually be paying because of your interest rate. And mm-hmm. I was so, I was like, <laughs> I might be signing this contract, <laughs> but there's no way I'm paying that. <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> six months later, like, okay, maybe I will be paying all of that extra money. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But you know, I noticed that the more money I had in my savings, so essentially it was just like my savings are going to dwindle until my, until I'm better and I have to spend a lot of money getting better. Mm-hmm. And the more money I had, the less secure I felt. Mm-hmm. And the more money I had, the more I would wake up in the middle of the night freaking out about money. Mm-hmm. And then it like, and I think a part of it is because honestly, I don't think we can actually um, comprehend the amount of money Mm -hmm. that people have. Like, I think when we're getting into hoarding or whatever, it's just like, there's some sort of flow of energy that's blocking that I think it's just like harder to understand what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And when it kind of got down closer to the point where it was like, this means you got six months right? Because at the, you know, at the, at the far end, it was like, maybe two years, maybe three years. How do I want to live to make this happen? There's just like so many unknowns. And once it kind of got down to the point of like, you got about six months, Mm -hmm. I was ready to go. Like I was ready to get back into the world. And it Mm -hmm. gave me something to orient to. Because again, it's a true need. There Mm -hmm. is a sense there of survival and we're all motivated by survival like primarily, biologically, Mm -hmm. we're motivated by survival. The interesting thing is, I think there's almost like, like we, we, we vilify that. There's Mm -hmm. like an idea that we don't want to be, we call it like in survival. I don't want to be in survival. Totally. And I understand what people mean by that. And it's like, again, it's sort of true. Well, I don't wish genuine survival fear on anyone. Mm-hmm. But what most people consider survival isn't survival. And like the true, I mean, I think in a way what you're talking about is instinct, which mm-hmm. is actually deeply nourishing. Oh, I'm connected to my instinct and I know how to respond to my instinct. And I do see the same thing. I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking about money and I've had that, I've had that experience personally in my life, but I see it also. And it's why it's like the no man diet is just kind of like the way that we do it. <laughs> And it is important, but it's not important. But, you know, again, I mean, women have gone through it who are not heterosexual and it's mm-hmm. about a relational reset or about, you know, not romantic relationship, sex, et cetera. But for ease, I'll say men. 
And so heterosexual women, right? Like there is a lot of times this, this common, you know, like, well, if I just had a partner and there's a security in that. And sometimes it's like, well, if I just had a partner who would pay for everything, you know, or if I want to be supported or these, and and it's like, rather than getting into like, no, what I want is, you know, connection, or I want to have somebody to relate to, or, or it's just very abstract. Sometimes I'm like, no, you don't want a partner. Like there are so many people out there with a partner who (laughs) do not feel any of the things that you're hoping to feel (laughs) when you have a partner and to remove sort of the false security, which often at the outset does feel like like, oh my God, it's just me or I'm in survival. And then we go like, wait, I'm actually, I'm fine. Or this is the way that I've actually been living for a long time, but now I'm consciously choosing it or, and I'm not wasting all this energy trying to imagine that I could have something different. I'm doing other things with that energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, okay, this is getting me, this is getting my juices going. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about primitive peoples um I always mm-hmm. like to come back earth-based earth-based mm-hmm. earth-based earth-based how can I see because our society is messy it's like it's just friggin' messy mm-hmm. and if we're trying to look at at just one thing here like mm-hmm. oh my desire to be in a relationship um th- there's just thousands of years of change in human civilization that you know that it's brought us to this point. So sometimes I'm like, okay, what's before? Because the way that we're living now is really just like 1% of human time. It's such a blip, you know? It's such a blip. Yeah. And so when I think about um, primitive peoples, so this is pre-agrarian society, okay? Mm -hmm. Pre-gardens, but people who moved to find food, we'd Mm -hmm. call them hunter-gatherers. Um, they, the difference between that and then when we came into agrarian society, even if it's like a cute, sweet little garden that we wouldn't think of as like mass agriculture, <laughs> right? So, you know, so pre all of these things, the shift was really, I'm moving with the flow of the earth to, mm-hmm. I am now controlling aspects of the ecosystem in order to benefit. Though that's the that is the shift. And it's actually through that shift into agrarian society because you could grow food and have more food in your stores than you would need mm-hmm. that the hoarding of resources started to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Because in a hunter-gatherer society, you're not you're not necessarily like you're not storing food, everyone's eating at the same time, you're moving on. You're constantly mm-hmm. following the food, constantly listening to the earth, constantly trying to find it. Um, whereas in agrarian societies, what we see is like, oh, there's extra. What do we do with it? And then is it's it like mine exactly. or is it yours? <laughs> and I'm not going to say it's like a matter of time. I'm not going to say this happens right away, mm-hmm, but at sure. some point that shift happens and um, yeah, I think about that when it comes to like, essentially one is just hyper present. Mm-hmm. And I think about that when it comes to things in our society where we're like, can I be 
okay with what I have now, trusting that more is always coming. The circle Mm -hmm. continues, the seasons change, we move forward and more is coming Mm -hmm. versus the idea that like, and, and sorry, and I'm in a space of receiving constantly versus Mm -hmm. how we are now, which is we sit there and we look outside of ourselves. What can I control? What can I control? What can I control in order to change what's happening here? Mm-hmm. again like it it's kind of like that um saying like don't don't pave the earth in leather or don't pave the world in leather wear shoes right it's it's kind of like that do you want to change everything outside of yourself or can you just take self-responsibility and look at what's in here and I just think about that mental shift that we've been so conditioned into with our society which is a constant reaching outside of ourselves mm-hmm. Um, instead of again, responding Mm -hmm. to what's here and actually receiving what's here. And in my work with the limitation, a lot of people come in and, (laughs) you know, at the end, I hear them say, I thought this was just some, another thing I was wasting my money on (laughs) because there's always another practice. There's always another, you know, and they were like throwing spaghetti at the wall, um, Mm -hmm there's always something there's like always something sexy outside of ourselves to, to convince us that we're not enough. And when, when people, Oh, sorry, what are you going to say? No, no, no. Finish that sentence. Yeah. I was going to say when people come in and it's like, you create the container that's like, Mm -hmm. actually you have access to everything that you could experience outside here. Mm -hmm. And, And then we take three weeks to just keep being there and people shit comes up. Why isn't it working? Why isn't it this? Why isn't it that? But there's enough space and time where we just keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. And the system just starts to settle. Mm -hmm. I mean, then that's what we're looking for. Because that's genuine security. And And again, even when you're talking about this time before, the way you're talking about it, when I start to feel that in my body, I feel, and again, I mean, I don't think either you or I are under any kind of illusion that we're like going back to that, but it is to look at what is the way that we find, find something of that within ourselves or within the culture today or within the world. And, and I see the way that then peoples were dependent on each other. Yeah. And, and I think the truth is sort of interdependence, right? You know, and I, for a long time, I was like on 4th of July, because we have United States Independence Day on 4th of July. And I would Mm. write a post that was like my inter, I was celebrating my interdependence. And then a Mm. few years ago, I actually just started writing, like I'm celebrating my dependence, like, because interdependence kind of start, people started to be like, oh yes, interdependent, you know? And in that way, I still kind of get to be sovereign because you also need me or something. And I was like, no, I am dependent. Like, do you know how much I am dependent? Every single one of us. And, and even what you were talking about, like the stores are empty. Like we don't think about like, I am dependent, the supply chain that I am dependent on. Oh my God. So that there's (laughs) something on the supermarket shelf that when I go and occasionally I'm like, huh, like they don't have the thing I want and I have to buy some other thing instead of that thing. Mm-hmm. Like when, when, when there's no thing, what am I going to do? You know, like what is do, it, like, Oh, I am dependent on that. Oh yeah. Deeply. And th- what you're talking about is in a way is actually much more interdependent 
because because there isn't just one thing that I'm not even connected to that I don't even know where it happens that could change that could suddenly mean I have no food <laughs> or yeah. some other thing but this way of of again talking about like oh I think I want the partner what is this wider sense of where we were truly dependent on each other where we were dependent on the earth and receiving from the earth right like to be dependent is not to be kind of the weak one in the system but like oh my god I'm receiving so much and here I am dependent yeah. on these other humans that we also do. And, and there's, it's not even like, oh, I share with you. It's just, this is between us somehow, you know, it's not like me here and you there and I share or you share, but that it's here. And so of course we all have it. Um, and I mean, to, to, yeah, that's security. Yeah. I mean, it's, <sighs> I, we're always Kendra and I when we're when we're talking. I feel like sometimes we communicate more psychically. It's like how do we put words <laughs> to these things? <laughs> but yeah, it's you know I think of humans right now we're dependent because interdependence actually means you're playing your part, and exactly. when we play our roles, we find security because we're not trying to be mm. other people. We're just trying to be ourselves. Who am I? Mm. And whether that's in relationship because, oh, I'm no longer trying to be the perfect girlfriend. I'm actually trying to be me. And mm -hmm. oh my God, you just like me. And I just like <laughs> you. And now we don't have to pretend to be other people, right? It's like, you know, it feel that's where our security comes from. But I think we're, we're learning right now interdependence within mm -hmm. our human societies relationally, I think. Maybe mm -hmm. I feel like we can say that we're learning how to like not be so nuclear, how to ask for support, how to show up for others when it's inconvenient, because that's what community is. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the earth, mm. you know, interdependence requires reciprocity. I don't really think that we truly understand how to be in relationship to the earth in a way where we're fulfilling our, our roles as mm -hmm you know, guardians and stewards, but I think we we're learning, you know, mm -hmm. and it, because it's such, it's like such that mental shift, you know, and I, again, that like hunter gatherer to agrarian, that mental shift mm -hmm. of I'm in control. Right. I take, should do for me, right? Like I take yeah. versus I give it's when giving and receiving became separate. Like mm -hmm. the, a lot of these things, even when we say like, there is no perfect, perfect, imperfect. It's like, we can say these things. There mm -hmm. is no good or bad. There's light and shadow, the duality, like we can say it, but can we actually truly see the world in that way? I think we're starting to allow our longing for the end of this duality, moving back into circle to start to exist. But I mean, it's, what do we say? Seven generations forward, you know, we're impacting the next seven generations. I hope that my life, you know, the things that I desire for humans in this life, that they can exist in seven generations, but to think that it would just happen now. It's I the mean, same taker mentality. It, it is. I mean, I think about like a couple things with that, you know, one, I mean, I just, when you said that, like, I feel such deep settling, right. When I'm playing my part, then I have security that, that that that's that that literally means I'm in interdependence right and 
And some of it comes down also to, I mean, people will say all the time, but I don't know how to do that. And my response so often is like, that's not the point, right? The point is to keep making the gesture. So even the desire to want to know how to do it right or to want to get it right right Right. now, you know, kind of is that rather than, yeah, I'm going to listen to this land. I mean, people don't want to hear sometimes, I think, because I mean that literally. Right. I'm like, have you asked and then just listened? Because I I bet there'll be a response. And it's not in five seconds. Maybe not in five seconds. It might, I mean, you might not like what it says or you might hear nothing. And again, it's that, it's that thing like, well, I didn't get a response. It's like, well, but did you ask again? Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody that yeah. you, that hadn't spoken to you in a decade showed up and was like, I would like you to tell me what to do with your life, you know, my life. And you didn't have an immediate response. Like, it'd be like, oh, we need to have a relationship. Like, I didn't want to ask how you are. And, and find out what's question. happened in the last decade, you know, <laughs> like, well, and even that question, even that question, what am I supposed to do with my life? It's like, that's not how nature and I am including mm-hmm. humans in that works mm-hmm. because we don't know how long our life is going to be. Mm-hmm. So all right. it's much more immediate. towards yeah. is the next step. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's what you know. Circling back to our conversation about land stewardship at the beginning, it's like, well, we we were we are people who are following our next step. You go to mm-hmm. the land, and you're like, what are you supposed to do with your life? It's like th- nature doesn't even think in. It's like that's not. Mm-hmm. It's not a. It's not a communication energetic flow here. That's a very like human again hoarding and. Mm-hmm. Um, projecting into the future way. It's like, what's my next step? And our next step might not even end up like being what we think it is. So again, it can be hard in our work to, for someone to say, I want to become a tea expert. Why would I take this class where she's not going to tell me anything about it? Or I want a boyfriend. Why should I then X men out of my life? I should be on all the apps right? Mm-hmm. It's that limitation. But what the limitation is actually doing is bringing us into the present moment, mm-hmm. into our ability to see what's next, not what's there, because it's really like none of our business, the mm-hmm. bigger plan. We're not God. That's not mm-hmm. like, it's none of our business where we end up. We just need to know what our next step is. Um, and and then, and on top of that, I would say we need to stop, or maybe it would benefit many people mm-hmm. for us to stop <laughs> trying to be everything to everyone. And I think that's the other thing is we like, you know, a part of our little like survival mechanism is like, let me do everything so that just mm-hmm. in case nothing works, I have like 17,000 um, exit strategies. And I think we're really unsatisfied with that because we're actually just looking for one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not looking for 10 different life purposes. i just want what's mine. I just mm-hmm. want mine. I'm not looking for 10 different potential boyfriends because maybe one makes more money than the other, blah, blah, blah. Like I just want the person who loves me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I want to sit at home at the end of the day and be like, wow, I'm really loved. I don't want 7,000 properties. I just Mm -hmm. want my home and I want the one that's for me. I want the life that's for me. 
And we can't get that by trying to get our life and all of these extra just-in-case lives. Mm -hmm. But we've been conditioned to that through, you know, I would probably say through our schooling system that tells us to be good at everything. I think this is a great analogy, though, with, with like the hoarding, right? You know, like, well, why would I not buy five shampoos and conditioners so that I have them? You know, and it's sort of like all these just-in-case lives. Like, why don't I just have, you know, a whole cupboard of toilet paper, you know, so that I feel secure? Like, they really go together, you know? So I think it's such an interesting conversation because it's simultaneously, I don't mean abstract, like abstract, but I mean, it's simultaneously like so wide and... And like requires kind of working in the realm of this energy, like the energetic within us, you know, and the and the habit ways of relating to that in ourselves and in other people and stuff. And then it also comes up in the very, very mundane of just literally my household needs one package of toilet paper. And I'm gonna work with the anxiety that comes up. Totally. <laughs> when you know, we have like one roll left in our house, but I have a store right down the house. Like, I'm like, I can go get toilet paper today. And also we're not going to die if we don't have toilet paper first day. You know, <laughs> my, my partner is from Brazil and he was telling my daughter, our daughter the other day. And he was like, most people in the world don't have special paper for their butt. You know? And she was like, totally. what? You know? <laughs> I mean, I think it's fascinating, <laughs> our culture's obsession with running out of toilet paper, like <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic. And oh, yeah. then um, also, and it was funny because that's, that would be like the headline about Venezuela when there were these big strikes and people didn't have needs. No toilet it would paper. be like, Venezuela has no to- toilet paper. I'm like, uh, what about like, Highest murder rate in the world, military yeah. dictator. Like, are we going to talk about any of the other things? It's yeah, like, just no, they don't poop, have toilet you know? paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I just love, though, the way that it's like we can zoom out and we can zoom in. And it's really the same thing. And I think for me, this is one of the ways that it's important, too, is sort of like how easy it is sometimes when people zoom out to be like, Oh, it's all so much. And I, you know, I don't know what the tangible steps are. And I'm like, actually, your little tangible steps also matter. Are they going to save the world? Is like the fact that I never, literally never buy anything on Amazon going to save the world, like my own personal tiny little revolution? No. Mm-hmm. But does it matter? Yes. It matters because that's me actually being in relationship with something in the world in the way that is true to how I see that flow that you're talking about. Like, no, yeah, this is incorrect and I refuse to participate in the incorrectness totally yeah I mean if you think about it like that it's like if because it's what you're saying is for you you have a desire for a place like Amazon to not exist I'm totally okay great confirmed (laughs) and it's it's like well then maybe you shouldn't be putting your energy into creating the thing that you don't want to exist because it's actually through our resources and our money that we, that things exist. We, and our participation. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, it's, it, it would be the same or, and we can actually look at it in the same way of like, I want one person. So I need to stop dating 17. 17 is my number, by the way, I say it for everything. 17,000, 17 million, 17. 17 rolls of toilet paper. Exactly. (laughs) 
Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like, oh, if we can actually, and you know, we have to create that space because it's so uncomfortable. It really is. I don't want to minimize the fact that it's so uncomfortable starting the work of being yourself in a world that's constantly trying to tell you to not be yourself, even mm-hmm. in the, even in the discourse. In the be yourself be industry. Yourself. Yeah, totally. It's like, <laughs> this is how to be yourself as a good person, you know, totally. or the right person or. <laughs> totally. It's so, it's so hard and so uncomfortable. And so when you can get in a community, when you can get in a container that has that compassion for the knowing that that's the experience from the get-go it's really helpful and it and it's a nice way to learn it because you know I learned it through my life falling apart and really being I literally you know in a moment where I was like "Mm, I'm starting to understand why people might not choose life (laughs) you know like in a deep, dark moment and realizing, wow, I have done every single thing I could possibly do to change others so that I'd be enough. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It doesn't matter. And so why not just be yourself? And, you know, in that we beget, we get to understand those things we're longing for, realize that even if they don't exist in our larger world, in our larger society, things like stewardship, care, love, integrity, unhooked living truth. They do exist like love for Mm -hmm. the earth. They do exist, but the only place, like the the easiest place for me to be in relationship with them is through my own being. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we can remove the distractions, because that's essentially what it is, we will then find ourselves in places where exactly what we're looking for comes forward. You know, people, I, I, I just went on a hike before this conversation and I was sitting on this, on these rocks over a river and I saw mushroom growing out of the rock. And Mm. earlier in the day, I'd also been thinking like, I wonder what the type of trees there are here, like what they are. I'm not sure. I see this mushroom growing out of the rock and I'm like sitting on this other rock near it. And I was kind of like, do I want to jump over to that one? I'm like, I don't know. That's pretty cool. A mushroom growing out of a rock. I should probably Mm -hmm. go look at it. And so I went to look at it and it wasn't a rock or it wasn't a mushroom. It was a little acorn hat. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oak trees, you know, it's, and that's a way that's to what's learn. Here. <laughs> I know, and there's so much awe and wonder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really make it an effort to, to not just Google things. I could mm-hmm. have just been like trees of, you know, mm-hmm. this area and been done. And, and to learn in that way where this little, and there actually were a ton of them, but I didn't notice the other one where this little acorn hat is like, I have your answer for you. Come mm-hmm. here, come here mm-hmm. and look. And that's what we want, but Mm -hmm. we're never going to get it if we keep doing the quick bypass, the quick bypass, the quick bypass. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's not that, oh, if I hadn't jumped on that rock, I would, wouldn't be who I am, but it's the, it's the um, collection that I have of thousands of those moments now. It's, it's that those moments, I mean, they're the, they're like the quote unquote tiny ones that make up the fabric of your entire life. Totally. 
and yeah. that make up yeah. all like the way that we understand and yeah. see the world. And, and I, I wish like for people who are like, how do I have that? How do I have that perfect relationship? How do I have that deep practice? How do I have um, that connection to the earth? How do I have all of these things that I want? I want land. I want to be called forward. I want blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, all you've learned how to do is want. How do you mm. receive? That's like the mm. main thing, at least in start your own tea practice that people are learning is how to receive, mm. how to actually like receive this beautiful thing that's happening instead mm. of how to take it and then give it to others um, and never receive it for themselves. And so, yeah, it's mm. like, then everything's a miracle. Well, then you start to realize that the life that you want I think, mm-hmm. you know, that that desire is like, it's so much there for the participation, pretty much moment to moment, you know, which is, it's sort of tricky for me because I always want to tell people, it's not like my life is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, you yeah. know, but this way of receiving the life that I actually want to be in participation with mm-hmm. and the kind of like, like a kind of nourishment that I don't even have words for that comes from that, you know, the kind of joy that's not like happy all the time or something that comes. It's like, I don't know how to describe that except that I'm actually engaged with the kind of life I want to be living moment by moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's actually there. Like you're talking about when you do that work of learning to receive it, you find out, Oh, it's actually right here. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I was having this conversation in Berkeley the other day about it. It's like, when we look at nature, when we sit outside, we look there and we're like, everything's doing its part. Mm-hmm. Everyone is, every being here is in right relationship. They're doing their part. I think the hardest part of being a human is including ourselves in that. Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. we understand that no matter what you're doing right now is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And then when we bring awareness and intention into our lives, it's when we start to actually have more sovereignty and choice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, me, it doesn't matter that it's that, you know, people, they say to me sometimes, I, I'm surprised at the life you've lived and where you are now. You, you know, I would have thought that you grew up on a farm without electricity, you know, and, <laughs> but it's like, how can I understand that? Like living in New York city for 10 years was still me becoming mm-hmm. who I am, mm-hmm. that everything that it's not separate. Can we like really trust that? And when we trust it, then we start to be able to become co-creative. Mm. then we start to be able because our co-creation is just listening to the next step and doing it even when we Mm. don't understand it yeah Mm. I I think I want to just underscore first of all I was like oh I should just leave that like that's just perfect (laughs) there's nothing else and then I was like oh but it is it's it's both right sometimes people really lean on the listening part and what you said included like listen for the next step and then and then you have to hear it and then you do have to do it and again it's not like oh you're a bad person or you're living the wrong life or if you don't but that piece that you're talking about where we're really then in more conscious choice in this realm i think comes from hearing things and then going like yes i will make a gesture in that direction like I did actually ask, I did actually hear, and this is the gesture that I know how to make right now that's in that direction. And then mm-hmm. something else comes back when we do that, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. conversation. 
right? Yeah, yeah. It's the co-creation. It's actually having relationship to life. And and it takes a lot of pressure off not having to figure it all out, (laughs) you know, just trusting. And I, I always remind myself, your life is better than you could have imagined. So stop trying to imagine. And, and I, and the truth is like, I find that when I focus on the big picture, focus on where I want to be in 30 years as though that is attainable tomorrow, or -hmm. even this year, even in the next five years, um, it all, it takes me out of my life. Yes. It takes me yes, out. Yes, yes. It's the easiest way for me to not actually be embodied in who I want to be. You know, the the moment I'm like, oh no, I'm a terrible person. I didn't check my email. And I sit there and my email all day is the day that I'm not out in nature. And then what am I sharing with people as a nature guide mm-hmm. or teacher mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm sitting at my computer? And so it's like we can think. Again, if I think that I have control in the outcome, I'm going to spend my time trying to control the outcome rather than just allowing the magic of life to help me, mm-hmm. to support me, knowing that actually living in a way that's in alignment with my work, with my being, with my life is the work. It, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And everything else we just, you know, made up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. um there's like this someone just shared a poem with me the other day don't know what it is and I want to share it here but it's from a David White poem Mm -hmm. she said and it was something like the life that you can imagine is too small for you Mm, it's actually it's so beautiful that you brought this in um it's called sweet darkness. Uh, and yeah, I use it for the no man diet because so it's funny. Yeah. It's actually, I led a whole like, you know, masterclass on the no man diet that was around dark like sweet darkness and intimacy. Um, mm. and, it, and it's something, there's a line in there that's about sometimes it takes giving up, you know, everything that's not meant for you in order to realize that the life that's actually meant for you. Mm. Do you want to end with this? I'll read it and we'll go out on that. Okay, cool. Sweet darkness. David White for the win. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sweet darkness. When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your womb tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. Give up all other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn Anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Mm, So beautiful. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kendra. I feel like we could have kept talking for a couple hours, but then uh, 
this the podcast producer, aka my boyfriend, wouldn't be like too happy about it. <laughs> oh, it's such a pleasure. It's always yeah. it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And yeah. 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 And I hope that, you know, for those of you who know Kendra, that you got to see also another side today um, mm. of her deep, deep love and care for the earth that is always inspiring me. So thank you for being and thank you for being here, Kendra. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. To stay tuned for future podcasts and new offerings, sign up for my newsletter at marianarittenhouse.com. And if this episode resonated with you, I'd love to hear all about it. You can reach me on Instagram at Mariana de la Tierra. That's of the earth in Spanish. Oh, and if you're ever in Boulder, Colorado, you should definitely join us for tea. My students and I serve tea ceremonies two to three times a week at my home in the mountains, and we'd absolutely love to have you. You can see the schedule and sign up on the ceremony section of my website. I want to give special thanks to our beautiful Earth Mother and all of our relations for constantly inspiring me and this work. This beautiful podcast music was created by Castanea David Brown. As always, thank you for being, and thank you for being here. Until next time.